Into sports. 20 yards out. Urs to shoot. Don't oh, and get into the all-new OTB Sports app. I think when he apologises to me, I probably will say hello to him, yeah. No. Videos, sports news, live scores, interviews. If Fabregas is going to come up to me in the street and give me some of a mouth that he would have given me on a football pitch, what do we get a slap? Plus exclusive content on the OTB Podcast Network. The biggest names in sports. Ready when you are. Search OTB Sports on your app store and download it now. The OTB Podcast Network with Green Farm on the go. Snack smart with 100% natural protein-powered chicken bites. Football on Off the Ball with Paddy Power. Fueling the mischief in the beautiful game. Gamble responsibly. See Dunlewy.net. Now, welcome along to the football show. So it seems Harry Kane is about to be unleashed for Spurs. 59 minutes on the clock. It is Wickham Wanderers 1, Spurs 1 in the FA Cup this evening. Wickham took the lead. Gareth Bale equalised on the stroke of half-time. And so 30 minutes to go. Kane is on to see if he can nick a winner for Spurs. Already this evening, we have spoken to Pat Nevin about the Frank Lampard situation and events at Old Trafford. Something uh, totally different for you now, though. We are running a Grassroots of Sport series this week, right across the Off The Ball schedule. It kicked off this morning on OTBAM. And this evening now, we're going to talk grassroots football, not least when it comes to things like uh, talent development, dropout rates, uh, best practice internationally versus where Ireland is. And to do so, I'm very happy to say we're joined by Dr. Laura Finnegan. Uh, Laura's a member of the Football Research Group at Waterford IT and by Shane Keegan, a League of Ireland uh, manager in various roles at Galway United, Wexford Youths and currently part of the Dundalk setup. You're both very welcome. So Laura, uh, your uh, Football Research Group, it's looking at football right around the world in the hope of identifying best practice really and maybe influencing policy I think is the gist. Yeah, we see ourselves very much as having a, a domestic and an international remit. Um, we are a collection of of traditional academics, non-academics, pracademics, a little bit of mixture of everything from across a number of fields that, that all have an influence on football and talent development, whether that be um, myself, which is more, more that traditional talent development area whether it's the field of of psychology um so i think we we have a lot to offer and i think it's a it's an area that really could do with um just a, a whole scale kind of warts and all investigation both both here in ireland and internationally as well okay and at what point are you in the investigation can you give us a pretty informed view of things or is it early days well, my own PhD uh, was based on talent development in Irish football, and that's something that I've been working on for the last seven years. Okay. Uh, officially finished that this year, so um, <laughs> so that's good news. Um, just the seven years. So, just just seven years part time. Yeah. Um, look, it, it was really interesting, and it, it it took me to probably a lot of areas that I, that I wasn't expecting when I started off. I, I think naively I thought that I would try and affect change. I'm a lecturer in Waterford IT and very much the accepted practice is you go on and do a PhD. So for me to be able to combine combine my passion of, of football with research just was a really good fit for me. And yeah. the idea came really after Euros in 2012 to, to really uh, try and drill down into talent development in Irish football. Great. Well, listen. So that. Sorry, there was a delay on the line. Go ahead. That opened up a lot of routes then in terms of both looking at what we're doing, but also then looking at a longitudinal study. There was a five year longitudinal study where I followed 
five boys that were on the Irish under 15 team at the time, uh, following their journey and I suppose learning from their insights as well. Great. Well, listen, you've got so uh, you know really deep understanding of where we are. And Shane, it's great to have you with us. You'll have, I'm sure, a very practical feel for where we are as well. And you're working with players right around the country. Laura, could you kick us off then? Where are we in broad terms from the, for, uh, let's take uh, talent development then as, as an area you've specialised in. The uh, very talented eight-year-old, nine-year-old boys and girls in Ireland at that age over in the UK, uh, Premier League clubs might start sniffing around them and start developing them. And we know... Uh, the avenues over there. Over here, what tends to happen? Well, I think it depends where you live, really. Um, there is definitely a, a place of birth effect in Ireland. Um, so the opportunities and, and the chances that you get will differ depending on, on where you are. So one of my studies was looking at the Emerging Talent Programme and maybe looking at where the boys were getting opportunities to get on to that. And you were 50% more likely if there was a centre in your county to get on one of those. Um, then there's issues to do with maybe representative spots per head of population as well. So that's probably the first thing that it's not an, an, an equal opportunity, I suppose, that there are, there are different challenges for people across the country um, in terms of the landscape. But yeah, it, it is very different. But I think that's that's our strength as well. I mean, we have to be creative. We don't have professional academy structures from from a young age, and we, we could look at that and, and think that that's automatically a bad thing. But but um, I think we can be creative. We can we have to be inventive with the resources that we do have as well. So the emerging talent program, I mean, that that has come on board in the last uh, number of years. The likes of Robbie Brady, I think, amongst others, has been uh, through it. How successful is that? Are there enough of them? Are, are kids getting enough uh, hours of contact uh, training through them? I think their, their role will probably change and evolve with the emergence of the, the League of Ireland underage. I think that they were really valuable, particularly for players outside of the traditional strongholds of, of maybe the DDSL. Um, it did give them a, an extra step up in terms of training. But I think their role, they'll go a little bit younger than they would have done traditionally um, because maybe that, that once the 1917s and, and 15s came on board, they were essentially drawn from the same pool. So there still is a role to play, particularly for rolling it out maybe in areas that don't have that kind of immediate access to an underage League of Ireland team. Okay. And are there enough programmes around the country? Could we do it a whole lot more? Or are we doing all right on that front? Um, I think it depends what we're, we're talking about in terms of programmes. Are we talking The Emerging to, Talent Programme. You know, yeah, I think... Um, I think it is. I mean, there, there's the league structure at the minute. Every league has its emerging talent program and then there are the regional centres. So I think that merged with hotspots in terms of League of Ireland clubs. I, I think it's, it's 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 enough, but I think awards and all approach in terms of looking at playing populations and numbers. One of the findings from my study was that actually um, we could do with another centre perhaps in Dublin and then maybe even in the, the commuter belt around Dublin as well to cater for the large okay. volume of, of players. And just a last one and then I'll bring in Shane. For instance, just to give us a practical understanding of the Emerging Talent Programme, uh, certainly as it was, and I appreciate your point that it may be changing slightly with the National Leagues coming on board. But so say I'm a talented 10, 11, 12 year old and I'm playing for my schoolboy team. What does being involved in an Emerging Talent Programme mean for me? How many extra sessions am I doing in a given week or is it even that often? 
I think um, the way it was, the time was perhaps 26 weeks over the year, um, one evening a week. And then there, there were meetups for perhaps for a week or two during holiday times as well. So it did. It extended in terms of the longitudinal research. Definitely found it more beneficial was the players from perhaps um, less traditional football in counties. They, they found okay. it most beneficial. And was there anything in place for girls? I presume we're talking boys here or, or did it serve both? That study was boys, but there there is an expansion of the programme for, for girls happening okay. in the near future. Shane, where are we broad terms for you then? Yeah, well, it's interesting when you hear Laura talk about it. So so when I was initially getting involved in, in coaching and started on my coaching badges, the ETPs were kind of just getting into full swing, Joe. And Laura's hit the nail on the head. I mean, initially, the, the, the purpose that they served, without a doubt, they were a fantastic thing, in my opinion. Um, as Laura has said, certainly outside of Dublin, you, you know, if you were in Dublin and you were a good, talented player, you'd be found. Simple as that. But we were down in, as I say, living in Leash, but my local club would have played in the Kilkenny District League. Now, I, I would have got coaching around uh, our under-12s around that time, let's say, and we would have had one really, really strong player. But up until the ETP came along, Joe, you could be the best player in your club and then, yeah, you might be brought into county trials and then you'd be the best player maybe at your county trials or top two, three players at your county trials. But then the gap from there to the next thing up was Irish international trials you might never be heard of outside of Kilkenny. You really might not. You might never even be invited to an international trial. Mm. So this served as a middle ground that now all of a sudden the best players in Kilkenny, the best players in Carlow, the best players in Waterford were all going to Waterford once a week um, to train down there. And now all of a sudden, if you're one of the best players at that, well, now you were coming into international trials. So it served as a really, really brilliant middle ground in, in that sense. And my earliest experiences would have been bringing that talented kid down to Waterford every, every Monday night um, and and getting to see him flourish and and play with a, a higher standard player than he, than would have, he would have got the chance to play with if the ETPs hadn't. And by the way, the knock on effect of that Joe was I was maybe what it's Lord it's, it's the best nearly fifteen years ago now I suppose so it is and I'm trying to do the maths at his age. It was fantastic in that the other knock on effect was I was getting to watch the best coaches in the region coach these talented kids. So it was a, a win win. But there is no doubt it's certainly um developed and changed now. Really now you're looking at at. I think, uh, Laura, correct me, but I think you're you're really looking at it, it, it been focused on kind of 10s, 11s, 12s, um, whereas back then it would have went up as far as, as 15s and 16s. But obviously the League of Ireland structure kind of takes care of the older boys now. Is that where it is, Laura, yeah? Yeah, I mean, definitely the focus is now on League of Ireland and that kind of pathway from under 13 up. Okay. So let's talk at uh, the League of Ireland situation then. 13s, 15s, 17s, uh, 19s and women's uh, 17s as well. Um, is As I understand it, do correct me if I'm wrong at any point on any of this. The obvious gap there is 14s, 16s and 18s and everybody acknowledges there's a problem there. I think the FEI would acknowledge, would acknowledge there's a problem there. So in effect, Laura, are we looking at uh, lots of players playing national league at 13s and 15s and 17s and then having to return to their schoolboy club for instance at 14s and 16s and 18s is that the reality of how this is going to work in the short term till we get it sorted out um it's how it is happening yeah yeah absolutely um and you know i think anyone that would look at that pathway would look at it and see that it's you know it's not really coherent in terms of the movement of of players in and, and out of these development pathways and particularly you still have the kennedy cup in the middle of that as well which 
seems to be treated differently depending on where you are in the country. There's some reports of, you know, boys choosing to to stay out of League of Ireland under 13 to be able to go into Kennedy Cup. Um, so there are issues definitely about even the consistency in the pathway. I suppose the under 13s was the most controversial league in terms of its inception. Um, I think everybody acknowledged that there there definitely was a place for the 19s, the 17s and, and perhaps the 15s as well. And, mm. and again, that, that piece passed the 19s also. And give or take, are we talking just the League of Ireland clubs basically playing in this National League, Laura? Um, where there are areas that maybe aren't served geographically by a League of Ireland club, then there are other kind of league-based teams that have... Okay, Entered. almost representative mm -hmm. teams of the leagues in different counties kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. and do you see this as a, as a progressive move, as the right move in a country of this size to have the best players at those ages playing in a national league like this, Laura? I think you have to look at it from an age perspective. Um, I think at the later teen years, I think absolutely, yes, I, I think there's a role for it. I, I um I think there are potential issues with the under 13 league. Again, it's it's in its infancy. So mm. we are assessing it through the guise of maybe international best practice and, you know, looking at the, the development versus the win focus, that kind of black hole that puberty is in terms of development. Or really, we don't know what's going to come out the far side. So, you know, we, we can't tell at 12 um, who these the, the best players or the two percent maybe of players that are going to get spots on these league of ireland teams are mm. and if uh, so well totally and look there's always going to be late developers but i presume the player who's not picked at 11 12 maybe even 13 14 if he comes good at 15 16 he'll get picked up then i would presume yeah that's that's the hope and, and it's about resources and it's about supporting that second tier um what what we can't let happen, I suppose, is that all of our resources now are focused in this, what, what they'll call it, the, the elite level at underage. Mm. We have to think of that second level because like, there has to be a, a second level where grassroots players are, are kept almost viable and, and in the system. Yes, OK. Um, because, you, because you don't know what starts as, as maybe a physical maturational difference at 12 actually then turns into almost a self-fulfilling prophecy because that player then has access to better coaching, better better standards and, and competition and that kind of thing. So so we do, I mean, if we could be guided by the philosophy of keeping as many in the pathway as possible, because really that's that's something that we have to, to do because of a country of our size. Yeah, we can't be losing players that easily. No. Shane, are you in favour of this National League? I know the schoolboy clubs have been very unhappy and DDSL clubs who've ruled the roost for a long time are watching their players going away potentially and they don't like it for understandable reasons but are you in favour of it? Yeah, in terms of the talent development pathway, Joe, I, I am. But again, you have to take everything I say on the proviso that I'm speaking as, uh, as somebody from down the country. Um, yeah. and, and to me, it's to me that's, it's, a, it's an absolute no-brainer. Now, I'll, I'll be honest with you, you know, the FEI, I suppose, will get a lot of stake over, over a lot of things that haven't been done well. To me, this has been a really, really good development and it's something I, I actually... I don't know if I ever thought, ever believed it could happen because there was so much of a stronghold politically with, with some of the big school by clubs. And, and I know, look, you'll probably get texts in from big school by clubs now giving out about my take on it. But yeah, to me, to me, in terms of getting the best players around the country, not just those in Dublin, playing against each other on a regular basis. And it's a no brainer to me. If you're getting the best players 
training with the best players on a regular basis, playing against the, against the best players on a regular basis, it has to, has to lead to, to, to better player development. It really, really does. Um, and look, you're in, you're, in, you're in massive, massive competition with, with, with GEA um, in most counties around the country. You really, really are. So there has to be something there for players that they don't have to drive to Dublin if they want to you know, embark on a potential professional career. So it's, it's, it's been huge there. The one thing I would say just from the structural point of view, Joe, that yourself and Laura were talking about, it would seem a no-brainer to me, and maybe there is reasons. I, I think the FAI are looking at it. At the moment, you've got under League of Ireland under 13, then you've got the Kenty Cup under 14, then you've got League of Ireland under 15, and there's so many complications there. To just flip the under-13 League of Ireland and the Kennedy Cup being at under-14, just just bring the Kennedy Cup forward to under-13 and bring your first League of Ireland season in at under-14. Yeah. Now everybody plays with their local league, league side all the way up to Kennedy Cup. Now they go into a League of Ireland pathway at under-14 and the gap through to the following year is only one year, which means the, the physical size, uh, your, you know, the size implications don't have as much of a bearing. And by the time they're going from 15 to 17, they're kind of better able to handle that, that, that jump in physicality. You know? Yeah, it's a great point. Very simple suggestion and makes perfect sense. I remember, so we're going back maybe uh, 20 years ago when I'm 15, 14 years of age and uh, my mate was playing for Belvedere, you know, he was a brilliant player and he'd moved from our local side to Belvedere and at the time, uh, Richie Ryan, who I think is from kind of Tipperary neck of the woods. About, five, five minutes, about five, ten minutes out the road from me, Joe. Yeah. yeah, and like has gone on to have a great career so it worked out for him but I remember hearing that, you know, this lad's driving up to Belvo every week. I was thinking, jeez. But that was, I mean, that was where we were 20 years ago. If you wanted to be seen by scouts and you were serious about it, you had to be in the DDSL uh, realistically. And so that's where the National League for a Richie Ryan type who doesn't have to be trekking up and down makes perfect but Joe, sense. It's, it's, you, but you, 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 you said 20 years ago, it, it's, it's far more recent than that. So it, I, yeah. I, have a seven, I, I have a 17 year old brother who played under 12 and under 13 with Belvedere because he felt at the time that's what he had, had to, to do. do. Okay. Um, so that's five years ago, you know? Right, okay, interest. Okay, so that trend has continued. So National League, for those reasons, has to come in and makes total sense for the um, those in the, in, the, in, in the areas outside of Dublin. Laura, is there any argument, and this is maybe part of that second level point you made, to almost have the DDSL, which is thriving and has got, you know, such a big population to pick from, to almost... Uh, leave Dublin B and have all those teams playing against each other and, and let that continue to produce as it has been and then have the National League for the rest of the country. Would that have been a good idea, bad idea? Do we know yet? What are your thoughts? Um, I think, again, it goes back to the age range that we're talking about because psychologically and developmentally, an 11 and 12-year-old is very different from a 17, 18, 19 year old. I mean, it's why we see so so high dropout figures at that kind of 12 or, or 13 age group. Like as soon as you start to have representative squads and teams brought into the mix, well, then suddenly there's that idea of, well, perceived competence. And, and suddenly, you know, my friend is getting picked for this representative team and I'm not. And at that 11 and 12, even 13, kids can't differentiate between effort ability and, and practice you know you, you win you're good and you lose you're bad and there's no real more other nuance to it at all so i think in all these conversations about you know you've mentioned the the competitive structures and everything we do have to realize that the, the earlier that comes in well the more likely we are to have dropout and and i think what's really i suppose counterintuitive about talent development research is that you know it's not necessarily an accumulation of hours 
like the concept of, of 10,000 hours is probably the worst thing that that ever happened in that area. Um, so, yeah, I think as long as we have a, a space for people that want to participate in, in sport to to do so. I mean, if we do look at that, the new approach that Sport New Zealand are, are talking about, their approach is, is very much trying to bust some of those myths of talent development. Okay, so you, you, you wouldn't have a strong feeling either way then on DDSL, leave it as it is and do it nationally for the rest of the country or to include Dublin? I, I wouldn't be having the, the travel brought in at that young age, no. Okay, okay. So, um, well, talk to us more about that point then about, uh, you know, the balance between protecting dropout rates, which is obviously pretty crucial, especially when we're talking about the numbers who aren't going to make it in the Premier League. You really want to protect dropout rates and you really want the best kids playing against the best kids. So how do you strike that balance then? What you know, because we do want the best kids playing against the best kids, do we, for their own development? There's actually a lot of emerging research to show that like a mix of approaches okay. is best. So um, again, th the best kids, well, what do you mean by that? Well, at that early adolescence, it's probably physicality. Like quite often it's physicality masquerading or maturity masquerading as, as talent. So um, it's why, you know, being creative about biobanding and, and you know, pairing teams in, in different ways. But um, yeah, the, the idea of the best against the best is, is quite a controversial one in, in that sense. Like there's research that will suggest, suggest that it's, you know, streaming your, your teams A, B and C isn't necessarily the best way to go either. That if you put even a, a stronger player in with a, with a lesser group of players, well, then they could be more creative and work on different things. So giving people almost like a, a tool belt of experiences is, is better. Um, but yeah, dropout is really important, particularly at that level trying to keep those late maturers um the development versus the win focus and and how we approach that will have an impact on dropout rates as well you know competition isn't necessarily it's not a bad thing in itself but it's how we we interpret it and what it means at, at grassroots yeah shane I know, i'm not expecting you to produce your phd but even just in, in your own observations what have you seen when it comes to talent development and best kids against the best so to me joe the challenge is how can you do that while at the same time making sure that the, the net is also cast as wide as possible mm. so can you create a, a, a best against the best but can you create a layer two a layer three underneath that for the late developers because there, there's no doubt there will be uh, I, I i wrote a piece in um steer before last now i think i was actually after reading laura a lot of laura's research um and i just found it really really interesting i was doing a weekly thing for the times at the time so i, I just had a, a dive she was at the time she was doing about about um the relative age effect um and when i had a look at, at the relative age effect in the league of ireland it, it was incredible there was there was 250 players had played league of ireland premier division football on a, on a regular basis that season and of the 250 five of them had been born in december mm. um which was crazy now the reason i say that is the december thing kind of tends to tie in with the late developers the, the prime example being in the article i was i had lee grace uh joe as a footballer at, at wexford and galway i mean lee grace was shamrock rovers player of the year last year he's been outstanding on on, on european level and the whole lot lee grace never made a representative team his local water representative team until he was 18 years of age yes like you know there has to be there has to be an, an opportunity 
for those kinds of players still to step in late in the day. So I'm kind of contradicting myself because I do believe in the best against the best. But how can we build tier two, tier three, that those players are... The, the coaching that they're getting is still really, really good. It's maybe slightly different style of coaching in that I'd argue that with, with them at that level, it's really about encouragement and really telling them, well, no, you know, the decision as to whether you have a chance to be a professional footballer is not made because you're not in the elite at, at 12 or 13 years of age. But it is a challenge to get both sides of, of that. So, Laura, the reality of what we're looking at here, I would suspect, around the country is that still the best players, quote-unquote, the most physically advanced and mature players will get picked up for these national leagues at 13s or certainly 15s and 17s. And then the league races, born in December, as Shane talks about, will continue to play for their local team in their local league, which is the, the level two, I guess, um, as, as you put it. So are we well positioned as a country in, in, in what you found, Laura, to support the league races, born in December, playing for their local team, as well as the lads who are playing in the national league? In a sense, perhaps not, because we're starting to use this language of elite with young kids now. And and again, if they're not making that, well, then they'll, they'll gravitate towards something that, that does make them feel good and, and um, does give them an opportunity to play. So could I just come in on that, for instance? So like, I, I think a lot of people would have had the experience of not playing for elite football teams and loving their sport right the way through and not playing for the representative teams, just playing for their local team and their local league and enjoying it and playing with their mates and continued right through their teenage years uh, on the understanding that Richie Ryan was up playing at Belvo. So, so wh why would that kind of be an issue that there is an elite team? Because kids aren't fools either and they kind of know what's what. They do when when that kind of psychological process kicks in and they could do it. I mean, up until that, as I said, it's it's kind of what they see around them in terms of, of selection. But not all not all kids will want to progress. And I think maybe that's what you're referring to as well. And, and that's fine. And that's why we have to have opportunities for for everybody. Um, but yeah, the late matures, um, if we look at say things that you know five percent of of irish under 17 players research from, from stephen finn played senior so you know where are the other 95 essentially coming from and how are we challenging and, and supporting the more physically mature player as well that mm. has made that and that's it's often we, we think about supporting the late mature but actually can we challenge the early mature effectively so that they're not able to rely on that physicality mm. And how do we do that? Well, Joe, I, I, Sorry. I, I, I can probably, uh, to, to, to my fault, to majorly to my fault, I can probably talk antidotally about that. I mean, there's no doubt when I look back at it, I feel very guilty. So in, in one of Michael Kenny underage sides, the one which Sean McGuire and Michael Drennan would have come out of, our, our best player at the time was, was a guy called Mark Lyons. Now I'm talking when he was 12 years of age, um, but he was your typical under 12 best player in that he was bigger than everybody else he was more athletic than everybody else we put him center back because nobody could get past him and he just defended all day and then booted the ball up the field when when he uh, when he, he he took it off the other team inevitably and we thought this was the best thing ever and we were happy enough just to roll with that mm. mark aren't you a great fella you're, you're you're fantastic you're brilliant and blah 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 and you know, I would do it so differently a second time round. We we really made such a little effort to focus on the softer skills that were going to, to to bring that player along because inevitably, 
other players, you know, within three, four years, he was no longer the biggest player in the team. He didn't continue to grow massively. Um, and now all of a sudden he was just another another Joe Soap. I mean, we have to go after the, the, the softer skills and, and, and particularly the brain power, to my mind, the likes of your scanning and your decision making, all of that kind of thing mm. um, is so, so, so important for, for I see it at the moment with, with Evan Ferguson there, who's gone from from Bohemians across to, to, to Brighton. I mean, what a fantastic player he looks and you're looking at his physique and you're almost going, I really hope his physique isn't going to be a hindrance in that. I hope they don't just say, well, here's the big strong fellow who's able to bully people. You really hope that all the rest of his game gets developed in the way that I failed to develop the rest of, of Mark's game, you know? Yeah. Laura, was it possible to get a, a sense of coaching standards in this country by comparison with others? No, it's not something that's, that I've looked at okay. anyway. No problem. Shane, what's, what, what's your sense on that front? How are we doing? Yeah, I suppose the one thing I would say is I, I think, and again, I, I don't mean to argue against myself, but I think we need to get kids playing a lot of football a lot earlier. Um, I mean, um, Laura, you'll remember his name better than me, the, the Belgian guy who was very, very good on all this. Um, he presented in Ireland earlier this year, I think. He, he, he When he showed that model, Chris, yes, was it? Van der Hagen, yeah. Chris Van der Hagen. He, he was brilliant. I, I thought his presentations were fantastic, Joe. The, the big thing out in Belgium is if you're six or seven, you can forget about playing 5v5. You can forget about playing 7v7. Everything is 1v1, maybe 2v2. And when you see it in action, it's brilliant. And it's a no-brainer. You're constantly on the ball. You're constantly getting so, so many touches. 1v1, you learn how to to completely control a ball for the first year of your development. Okay, now we'll take you to 2v2 and you learn how to factor in a teammate and decision-making as to when to take the man on yourself and when to pass. And they would literally organise these massive, massive blitzes where it's like 20, 30 mini pitches all over this big playing area and it's all 1v1 and 2v2. And I, I think that's fantastic. And I think we I don't see much of that going on here at the moment. And I think that would... We're, we're maybe at, at under 11, under 12. I think we're maybe trying to teach them, you know, C, D and E when they haven't ever really been taught A and B. And I, I think that A and B comes from from trying to get them at six and seven and, and doing that 1v1, 2v2 stuff. Right. Would you go along with that, Laura? Is that what you'd like our six, seven-year-olds to be doing? Yeah, absolutely. And and what I like about the, the, the real change that the Belgians undertook for a number of years, it was evidence-based. So they, they did a lot of research on on things like touches, simple things like touches. Well, if we if we play these kids in 1v1, 2v2, how many touches are they getting versus that a larger size game? Um, and they've looked at that and, and they definitely see an issue with their late maturers. So they've started things like their their futures squad, where essentially they run shadow underage national team squads for players that are less physically developed they still right. they receive the same coaching that there's you know receive same opportunities in terms of of playing um but you're just trying to stop that gap developing from access to early resources because of maturity okay because i mean that is the great um issue with the january kids versus the december kids isn't it laura as i understand it and, and please do correct me but they're bigger, so they start making the teams and the representative teams, so they're getting better coaching and they're getting more hours, and suddenly, before you know it, the gap is massive. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what's interesting about it as well is that it's not just a physical difference, but it's also a social and, and cognitive difference as sure. well. So, say, the early-born kids are more likely to be captains and, and take on that 
that level of responsibility and engagement with with adults as well. If you look at the under 13 and other 15 squads across League of Ireland, well, they are stacked with the early born kids, the January, February, Marches. If there are later born kids, November and December, there, you know, they might be those kind of standout talents or they just happen to be early matures that are born in the, at the end of the year as well. So mm. there is a, a difference between the relative age effect and biological maturity. But but yeah, absolutely. So it is about trying to, to really understand that in a development system and trying to overcome that a bit. Okay. And is there any argument for splitting the age groups into six and a half and six and seven and seven and a half as opposed to every 12 months? I could be wrong on this, but I think it's something that the GEA do at, at school age. Um, but yeah, there, there's a lot of ways. There's no silver bullet. I mean, this is sure. something that's been around in academia for since the mid '80s, really. But it's about um, trying to get an appreciation of it at, at grassroots and seeing, well, you know, we really can't afford to essentially lose talent. Again, again Joe, just just to give you a, a really practical example of that. Again, I'm not sure, Laura. Might know, I'm not sure is that future developers thing uh, still been done in Ireland, but. I can tell you that that at, at 15 years of age, Sean Maguire went for Irish under 16 trials um, and wasn't selected. And I remember him coming back to the regional centre really, really disappointed and really, really disillusioned. And I'd say he'd probably back me up and say he was he was pretty much on the verge of, of, of kind of packing it in or certainly packing it in in terms of taking it seriously. And um, his coach at the regional development centre pulled him to one side and said, listen, just to let you know, there's um, a new thing going on, a future developers squad. It's for, for people who are, you know, quite small and slight like yourself. Um, and you're after being selected to, 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 to attend that. And they went off to play a game and it reinvigorated them big time. It really, really did. And there's a hell, a hell of a chance he was about to slip out of the net before that happened. So, mm. I mean, to me, that's an absolute must. I don't know, you know, based, I don't know what way to do it based on height or weight or what month you're born. I don't care what way it's done. But if it means that the smaller, slighter player who isn't as physically developed is kept, you know, kept moving in the right direction and given that extra boost of confidence, it, it's an absolute no-brainer. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, it seems sense, to me that, yeah. that finance kind of put paid to to that. Um, but there, there are things that we can do within existing structures to target that as well. Like all it would take would be a little bit of flexibility in league structures that actually, you know, we can very easily see where someone is in terms of the percentage of adult height. You know, all it takes is their stats and their parents' stats. And even having a system where actually people can play play up, people can play down across the league systems as well, I think would be really, really valuable. Yeah, okay. That's an interesting point. I know you played football yourself, uh, Laura, for uh, young girls out there. I, I'm, I'm hoping the landscape is rapidly improving. Yeah, it's it's changing, absolutely. I think um, James Scott got that position as, as coordinator recently and is... Um, I know the organisation are, are rolling out more emerging talent programmes and expanding the league structure as well. So hopefully the future is bright there. Because Vera Powell was on, Shane, and she was making the point that she thinks certainly at an early age she wants young girls playing with young boys. You know, she says she can pretty much pick out which girls played with boys uh, growing up on the streets as well, you know, like a Denise O'Sullivan. And she said that's absolutely fundamental to their development. Yeah, I've, I've been involved with, with Port Leash Soccer Club here in Leash as well um, over the last few years. And I suppose we're quite lucky in there in that the, the person who oversees the academy structure is a female, um, Sylvia. So I suppose she's got a particular, maybe she's extra conscious of, of that whole side of it. And the, the girls 
soccer in football in, in Port Leash is is fantastic. The girls are playing with their own age group um, the whole way up along, but they are also playing then with they're allowed to play with the team one year um, one year younger than them. Let's say in terms of playing with boys football, and right. I would be I would be doing I would be doing sessions say for. The under thirteen boys, let's say in Port Leash, I'd come in and I'd be asked to do a session with them, and I do the session with them. And like, I really don't mean this in a patronising way whatsoever, but but uh, twice the, the two most recent sessions I took, um, the outstanding players on the pitch in terms of technique. Okay, sometimes they were pushed off the ball, and sometimes you know the physical thing might have have got the better of them. But in terms of technique and decision making, in both of those training sessions, the, the girls were were the standout uh, players because I remember going back to Sylvia and and and, and saying it to her. So you know that's that to my mind that is brilliant to see. Mm. Uh, Laura, clock is coming against us as I knew it would. Like there's a gazillion aspects of this we haven't even scratched the um, surface of. So is there anything in all the studying you've done over the last six seven years which has really jumped out at you as something that? Uh, we are not doing in this country and we need to do and as soon as possible and why we could we could talk all day about you know contact hours play opportunities specialization all of that but really to me it, it comes down to stakeholder relationships we could have the most perfect um if such a thing exists development plan on paper but unless we have everybody singing from that same hymn sheet in terms of of clarified roles and responsibilities and even better levels of, of communication across all bodies that will have to play a part in this because really we won't have that almost finishing finishing school of of the uk for this anymore so um to me that would be the big takeaway yeah and say in a magical world everybody got along and there were hugs and, and high fives and lots of smiles uh, and, and they could all agree. What, what would you like them to agree on? Anything that's not there now that you think, well, that's, it, you know, it's a no brainer. We should be doing this and it's for almost political reasons. We're not doing it. I think to agree on on a philosophy, um, you can take a philosophy like that as many as possible as good as possible for as long as possible if we look at that that's been that's been put out there um and really try and drill into what that means and that means you know individualized development um opportunities for for boys to participate you know outreach coaching by league of ireland across that almost second level mm. there's lots of different things that we could do yeah are our dropout rates out of kilter with countries of uh, comparable countries to ourselves or are they worse better I think they're relatively comparable. Yeah, okay. Shane, what jumps out to you? What would you like to change overnight? Um, look, I, I do think there has been a huge amount of, of, of improvement. I really, really do. I think that the standard of coaching in the country has, has gone up massively, which can only have, have, have benefits. I think you have to take into account, Joe, that we have one thing that nobody else in Europe has to battle with, and that's the GEA. There, there's no doubt that that is a significant challenge. I mean, uh, I know somebody was talking to me about a, about a, a Cavan Monaghan minor final, I think the last year or the year before, where 25 of the players who were on the field had, had played inter-county uh, soccer somewhere along the line. So that's, that's a huge, huge behemoth. So it's just so, so vital that coaches... I, I think the one thing I'll say, just touching on what Laura says there is, I think the FAI, uh, there was, there's no doubt that... 
almost uh, the sole focus of the FAI for the long, long time was the senior international side. I, I think there is a change in emphasis now in terms of them focusing on League of Ireland a bit more, focusing on the underage uh, side of things and all that. The only problem now, obviously, is they don't have the money to plough into it. Yeah. Um, but we're, it's a step in the right direction in that sense. But we've got a challenge and we have to make soccer as appealing to pos- as possible to, to kids to take on the challenge of, of, of GEA at underage levels. And by the way, both... Um, both can absolutely coexist side by side. You know, you hear this crack of, of specialization want to be pushed earlier and earlier and earlier. And if you if you still want to play a GEA, you may forget about it. I mean, we, we quite simply wouldn't have had Shane Long and, and, and that goal against Germany if, if he'd been forced to choose that at 14, Joe. I'm telling you now he was choosing Hurling. So we, right. we just need to be so, so careful with that. Yeah, no, that, well, that's a no-brainer. Hell, you're, you're coaching a Hurling team now as well, I see. Congrats on that appointment. Um, Cheers. Laura, because I, I was reading some of your uh, excerpts from your, your uh, PhD, your study in various places today, there's loads of fascinating bits in it and, and you've done you know, uh, studies over years keeping in touch with different players and how they're faring and what their experiences are. So it's, it's a great piece of work for people to dive into. Is there anywhere easy someone can download it or read it or catch it in full? Yeah, I've broken some of it down into blog kind of snippets at talentdevelopmentinirishfootball.com. Okay. Um, and the full PhD can be found uh, on on my Twitter handle. So it's at Finnegan underscore Laura. At Finnegan underscore Laura. Great. Okay, listen, yeah. I'm sure people will uh, check that out and give it a read. Loads of texts in, which we'll get to uh, in the next while. But Dr. Laura Finnegan from the Football Research Group at Waterford IT. Shane Keegan, part of the Dundalk setup these days. Many thanks to you both. Appreciate it. Football on Off The Ball With Paddy Power Fueling the mischief in the beautiful game Gamble responsibly, cdunlewy.net The OTB Podcast Network With Green Farm on the go Snack smart with 100% natural Protein-powered chicken bites 